Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. The Lord sustains me. Not be afraid of thousands of people who set themselves against me. Every side that you, O Lord, are a shield around me. My glory and the one who lifts up my head. To the Lord with my voice, He answers me. You, O Lord, are still around me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head cries to the Lord. With my voice, and he answers me. It's holy to Yeah. Lord, save me, my God. You have took all my enemies. The cheekbones have broken the teeth of the wicked.
Hello, everyone. Hi, Lisa. How you doing? <laughs> Lisa listens every week online. Well, we're outside today, and it's a little cool and hot at the same time because it's about 72 degrees and a little breeze blowing, so it can be kind of cool, really cool in the shade. It can be and really hot in the sun, so it's hard to know how to dress for this kind of weather. And... uh Today, for the record, the date on the Roman calendar is April the 11th, 2015, A.D. in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ, and in God's created calendar, it is in the first month, 22nd day. Yesterday was the last day of unleavened bread. Today is the weekly Sabbath, so we gather here together, and we'll start having services every week outside, and we're headed toward Pentecost. That's something to look forward for. Let's turn to Hebrews 4. And if anybody has to go back from during services, you can just get up and go, and that's okay. And uh, always feel free to welcome people to come to services. Have this charge like to give table. Hebrews <laughs> four. Chapter 1, verse, I mean, chapter 4, verse 1. Hebrews 4, verse 1. Therefore, let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, that any of you may seem to fall, have come short of it. Rest is the subject for today. Remains of entering his rest. Bible speaks many times against fear, but here it says that there is a fear that we should have if we've not entered into his rest yet. If it remains of entering his rest, this is a proper fear. So this is something to be fearful of. 
not entering his rest. This is something that we we want to make for sure that we have done or is in the process of doing. While promise remains of entering his rest, any of you shall seem to come short of it. We don't want to fall short of entering his rest. What is that? What does that mean? What does it mean to enter his rest? And I'm going to wrestle here with the wind. Lord Jesus, help me. For indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. We have had a good news. Jesus Christ, he died for us, that he saved us from our sins, that we can enter in the kingdom through him. And that is partly of the rest it's talking about. Now, I've used Hebrews 3 and 4 many times to preach that we must still keep the Sabbath day. Because that is what it's talking about, is entering the rest through the Sabbath day. But this is dual. Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4 is dual. It's talking about entering into its rest through the Sabbath and through peace of mind, entering into rest. It's talking about both of those things. And here it's talking about the good news, Jesus, that we have entered in behind the veil, that we have access into the Father, that we have salvation through Jesus Christ, and now we can rest. But the word they heard did not profit them. If you look at Hebrews 3, it's talking about the time of Moses as wandering in the wilderness, hardened hearts, provoking the Lord. Through unbelief and disobedience, they provoked God because they did not believe in God to provide for them. They did not believe in God to take care of them with food, with water with provision, with rest. They didn't even believe in God that he would get them to the promised land so that they could enter into that rest, that land of milk and honey. They didn't believe God. They didn't trust God. They didn't rely on God. They'd rather go back to Egypt and die in their misery. They didn't believe in God. They didn't trust God. Do we believe in God? Or do we just say that? How deep is our belief in God? How deep is our trust in God? Is our belief, our trust in God, fallen short? We're in Hebrews 4. In verse 2 it says, For indeed we have had good news, praise God. Good news. This is a good news that's not just pleasing to the ears, but it's profitable. It is good. There's nothing wrong with it. There's not a fault in it. It is a good news preached to us, just as they also. The people in the wilderness was preached to. Moses, Aaron, they were preached to. They heard the word. They had God with them. They saw the power of God in their day and in their life, manifested right in front of their eyes with the parting of the Red Sea. But the word they heard did not profit them. We can hear Scripture. 
we can know Scripture, we can read Scripture, we can read Genesis to Revelation and not profit us because it was not unified by faith. So here, faith and rest is connected. Faith and rest. We can't have rest without faith. Faith and rest. They didn't have rest because they didn't have faith. They didn't have true belief in those who heard. Verse 3, for we who have believed enter that rest. Do you believe? How deeply do you believe? How much do you really believe in God to provide food, water, rest, entering into the wilderness, entering into the promised land, crossing the Red Sea, crossing that lake, crossing that river, entering into that refuge or that place of safety in the end time, in God's protection during the tribulation, in God's protection through whatever comes against us, through God's protection through, the, through our enemies, God's protection from our enemies. How much do we believe? How much do we have faith? How much faith do we have? I'll tell you the faith of a mustard seed. If it's as a mustard seed, that's enough. But faith as little as a mustard seed is not enough. People misinterpret that. They add to it what it don't say. It don't say as little as a mustard seed. It says as a mustard seed. If they read the other scripture, it says a mustard seed grows into a, a great tree that provides shelter for the birds. A mustard seed might start small, but it grows big. It presses the dirt away. It perseveres through the storms and the wind and the rain and the worms and the insects, that mustard seed presses against and over and against that ground, rises above the ground, rises up high in the sky against all the elements and provides a refuge and a shelter for others. That is as a mustard seed. That is the kind of faith that we need. We need a faith that grows. We need a faith that is mighty in the Lord. It might start small, but it ends up mighty in the Lord. We need faith as a mustard seed not as small as a mustard seed. It never says as small as a mustard seed. Verse 3, For we who have believed enter that rest. Just as he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That's what he said concerning those in the wilderness. They fell in the wilderness. They fell in the wilderness. Not because God ain't just. He is just. But because of their unbelief their lack of faith in God, even though they've seen many great and mighty works, they still didn't believe. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, what does that mean? That means even before he created this earth, he knew exactly what he was doing. He had his plans in his mind and his heart and his spirit. He knew he would come to the cross. He knew we would sin. He knew that he knew the devil would fall. He knew all things. He sees the end from the beginning. He is mighty. He's mighty God, awesome God. There's no higher than him, no mightier, no more awesome than him. He finished it from the foundations, meaning that he's the great architect, that he knew the end from the beginning. But you know what? He continues to work. See, people misunderstand this verse. He's still working today. He's still creating. He's still speaking. He's still prophesying. He's still sending prophets out into the land. He's still working. But he finished it from the beginning in the layout, in the design. 
He might have finished it from the beginning, but he still had to come and be slapped, spit in his face, persecuted, hated of men, and die on the cross. So we got to understand that this means in architect, in design, in thought, in plan, in, in, in uh, his perfection of his plan. Verse 4, for he has said something concerning the seventh day. Here's the seventh day, the Sabbath, that we're meeting on today. We can't leave that out. This is part of this chapter. So many people read Hebrews 4, and they think it only means entering into spiritual rest. I praise God it does mean, absolutely, it does mean entering into spiritual rest into Jesus Christ, what he accomplished at the cross, and even in his perfect plan before the foundation of the world. Praise God it means that. But it's dual. It's dual. It means in also entering into his rest on the Sabbath day. It speaks of the seventh day here. Seventh day, it doesn't speak of the first, the second, the third, the fourth. It speaks of the seventh. The seventh day. And God rested on the seventh day. He didn't rest on the first or any other day. He rested on the seventh day from all his works. What kind of works is he talking about there? Physical works that he did all these physical things with his voice, that he created these things, and then he rested the seventh day. But you know what? On that eighth day, he went back to work. He didn't sit down. He didn't, on the eighth day and the ninth day, tenth day, sit around in heaven eating grapes and being lazy and in a couch potato God. He started creating again, even though we don't read about it in the Bible. Even science tells you Every day the universe continues to grow. Every day the universe is being expanded. He's still creating new stars, new planets, new galaxies. We see that with our eyes and through a telescope. We see the creation of God, how he's still creating. He continues to work to this day, physically speaking and spiritually speaking. God is still working, spiritually and physically. He's not a couch potato God. But he rested that seventh day. He rested that day from the works. And again, in this passage, that shall not enter my rest. He rested, but other people refused to keep the Sabbath. Because Babylon, churches of men, doctrines of men, denominations of men said, you don't have to rest that day. Yeah, God did it, but you don't have to do it. Because Jesus died and removed all law. Well, guess what? He didn't remove, thou shalt not murder. He didn't remove, thou shalt not steal. He didn't remove, honor your father and your mother. And neither did he remove, keep the Sabbath day. It's part of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not enter my rest. They don't have faith in me. They don't have faith that the Ten Commandments still exist. They don't have faith that you must keep all Ten Commandments. They don't have faith that there are do's and don'ts in the Bible. They don't have faith. They don't trust in God to keep all the Ten Commandments. Verse 5, and again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter in, spiritual and physical, faith without works is dead. We are not saved by works, lest any man shall boast. But faith without works is dead. We've got to read the whole Bible. Every, every verse of the Bible has, must be considered in this chapter. Verse 6, therefore, since it remained for some to enter in, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. 
what disobedience is talking about. If you read the book of Psalms, you read Exodus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, if you read the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, the disobedience is talking about is they did not believe God would provide for them on the sixth day, enough for the sixth and the seventh day, both. And they disobeyed. They didn't keep the Sabbath because they didn't believe and trust God. So entering into rest here is both spiritual and spiritual. Spiritual and physical because of their spiritual disobedience and their spiritual unfaithfulness. Verse 7. He again fixes or limits or ordains a certain day. If you look at the Greek words for fix, if you look at King James as well, how he limits a certain day. He fixes a certain day. He ordains a certain day. This is solid proof the Sabbath still exists. He didn't say choose a day. He fixes, he limits, he ordains a certain day. But then spiritually he says today saying through David after so long a time, just as has been said today, before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And if Jesus had given them rest, and it should say Jesus there, that's where King James gets it right in that particular verse. If Jesus had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day or would not have spoken of another day after that. King James do this verse better, even though the New American is more accurate in, in the majority of verses. This is one time where King James get that verse better. What is it saying there? It's saying, if Jesus had given you a different day of rest, if he had given you Sunday instead of the Sabbath, would not he have spoken of it? Would not have he had said it after he was resurrected? That's exactly what that verse is talking about. This is solid proof for the Sabbath day. Verse 9. So there remains a Sabbath rest. Here's where New where this is where New American Standard gets it right rather than the King James. A Sabbath rest. If you look in Greek, that's exactly what it's talking about. In fact, in Greek, it actually means the observance of the Sabbath day. So there remains a Sabbath day. That word remains means to be left over after something else is taken away. After the old covenant is taken away, after the killing of goats and circumcision and clean and unclean foods are taken away, the Sabbath still remains because it's part of the Ten Commandments, and all Ten Commandments still exist. So there remains the Sabbath, the observance of the Sabbath day, if you look at Greek. The Sabbath rest for the people of God. People say keeping the Sabbath is not in the New Testament. Yes, it is. They just need to read the Greek, how it was originally written. And they need to read the New American, how it says it straight out, New American Standard Bible. So there remains the Sabbath rest for the people of God. So this is both talking about the Sabbath day as well as entering into peace through Jesus Christ. But we can't enter into peace through Jesus Christ if we're not keeping the Sabbath day. Because if we're not obeying the Ten Commandments, we're not going to have peace. Not real peace, not true peace, because he will, God will, chastise us until we are obedient to all ten of his commandments. Verse 10, for the one who has entered his rest, talking about keeping the Sabbath day, 
and knowing Jesus, and if you know Jesus, you will keep the Sabbath eventually. You might start out in a Sunday church. You might start out that way. But if you know Jesus, you will eventually come to keep the Sabbath day. Sooner or later, no matter how much you fight, you'll come to know the Sabbath day and keep the Sabbath day if you know Jesus. He who has entered his rest has himself also rest from his works as God did from his. What did God rest from on the Sabbath day? Making things, creating things, manufacturing things. So this is solid proof of the Sabbath again. Even as God rested, stopped working physically, we must start working physically on the seventh day. Verse 11, therefore let us be diligent to enter that rest. Verse 1 talked about we need a fear if we fall short of this. We need a fear if we're not obeying all Ten Commandments. Therefore, let us be diligent, let us be careful to make for sure that we are keeping the Sabbath day and having the peace of mind through Jesus Christ, entering in Jesus mentally, emotionally, spiritually, resting the Sabbath day and trusting and believing in God to protect us, to see us through, to get us through. It's talking about all of that. As verse 12 will confirm here. But verse 11 again says, Therefore let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. What example is it talking about? Because we have to make for sure that we're not following just like they did. Moses' time. Look at chapter 3 in your studies at home. Read the whole context of these two chapters. It's talking about in the wilderness, how they failed through they following the same example of disobedience. We don't want to do the same mistakes that they did in the wilderness. Verse 12, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrows and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are woven and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So it's saying, he knows our mind, he knows our heart, and the word of God should change our mind, should change our heart, should circumcise us, I have a knife, to circumcise our heart, dig deep, pierce, as far as the division of the soul and the spirit, the word of God should be piercing into us, cutting the things, cutting the heart, cutting hatred, cutting disobedience, cutting unbelief from our minds, from our heart. Let our minds be circumcised. For the word of God is living. It's active. It does something. It's changing. It transforms the mind. There is evidence of having been saved. And it's not just speaking in tongues. Speaking of tongues is a evidence, if it's a real tongue, of God. 
but there's other evidences as well. How much you believe. Faith. Faith is listed. That's one of the evidence as a gift of God. Verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. That word hold fast in Greek means to hold very tight to make sure you don't drop it and no one takes it out of your hand. It is holding extremely tight. Hold fast. Hold tight. Our profession. Because the devil's going to try to knock you down to the ground. The devil's going to try to plant seeds of doubt, fear, unbelief, disobedience. Man would do that, even separately from the devil. The devil ain't guilty of everything. Sometimes it's us. Sometimes it's mankind. The devil is not everywhere. All people give the devil way too much credit. The devil cannot is not in every town at the same time. God is everywhere. God sees everything, hears everything. The devil is not like that. But every time man does something evil, we blame the devil. Well, sometimes it's just man. And sometimes it's one of his fallen angels working for the devil. But a lot of times, is us. But we need to hold fast our profession. In verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. We do all have weaknesses, every one of us. I do. I'm not perfect. I've not yet attained, like Paul said. I've not yet attained. Now, we all need to press forward, keep going on, Keep striving for perfection. We should never get to that point to where I'm perfect or that I say that I'm perfect or think that I'm perfect. But we need to always continue to press toward perfection. There ain't going to be any sin in heaven. There ain't going to be any sin in the fullness of the kingdom of God. God will only accept those in the kingdom in heaven in the first resurrection, in the marriage supper of the Lamb of God, and in the new heaven, new earth, he will accept only those who are without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. People say, I can't be perfect, that he's not looking for perfection, that we don't have to be perfect. You know what you're saying when you say that? You're saying, I can sin. You're saying that there's no way I can stop sinning. That's what you're saying when you say, I cannot be perfect, never will be perfect, no one will ever be perfect. You're saying you're going to keep sinning, that you can't stop sinning. Now, yes, we all do have weaknesses, but we seek strength. We seek to become strong. We seek to become without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. With men, it might be impossible, but with the Spirit of God in you, it is not impossible to serve God. It is not impossible to stop sinning. It is not impossible to become without spot, without wrinkle, and without blemish. It is not impossible to become complete in Christ. It is not impossible. It is possible. With God, all things are possible. With God, it is possible to become perfect in Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, 
until we reach that goal, until we reach that high prize of the kingdom. We have a high priest. And we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Jesus was tempted to commit adultery, to steal, to kill, to break the Sabbath day. He was tempted because in his day and his life, it was as wicked as today of whoredom and abomination every which way you turned like it is today. Many temptations. But he, every temptation that came against him, every fiery dart that came against him, he defeated. He defeated. And we can do the same. With the power of God, the Spirit of God, Jesus living in us, He can defeat those temptations in us. He's with us. He's with us. How much do we believe that? How much do we believe that the same Jesus that walked on water is actually here right now? That He's in our midst that he is inside us, that he walks with us, that he sees us, that he talks to us, that we hear his voice. Some people don't believe you can hear the voice of God. They don't know Jesus. Verse 16, Therefore let us draw near. Therefore let us draw near. Yeah, I'm going to draw near. Sometimes it's a struggle. But... Sometimes it can be a little heavy to listen. But, praise God, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. We need to draw near to God. We need to draw near to Jesus. He's here. Do we believe it? He's here. He's with us when we lay down at night. He's there in the morning. That's why we talk to him, because we know that he hears us. We believe that he hears us, sees us. How much do we believe in the midst of the tornado? How much do we believe in the midst of our enemy's attacks? Verse 16, therefore let us draw near with confidence. How much confidence do we have in ourselves, in the truth? How much confidence do we have of the Sabbath day? How much confidence do we have of the doctrines we hold? Are we able to answer people's questions on the faith that we have? Draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Now, this is major here. And that is our focus today. The throne of grace. Rest. The rest of this broadcast, the rest of the service, we're going to talk about resting in Jesus. Resting in Jesus. Grace. Knowing his grace. Being strong in grace. Being strong in his grace. I remember one time. When God spoke to me and said, be strong in my grace. Strong in grace. The throne of grace. The kingship of grace. The authority of grace. Confidence of his grace. Draw near to his grace. Draw near to his throne. Draw near with confidence that you can approach Jesus Christ. 
because of his blood. Yeah, I've got sin. I've got weakness. But because of the blood of Jesus, God is working in me. He's not finished with me yet. I'm not yet attained, but I know God. I know God. I know God. I know him personally. I spoke to him this morning. I spoke to him last night. He speaks to me. I speak to him. I know him on a personal level. And I'm going to be strong in his grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What does that mean? I'll give you an example. Last night when I got home, I was so extremely exhausted. I cannot tell you, explain to you in words how exhausted I was. And usually every morning and every night, I spend extensive time in prayer. But last night, I was so totally, totally exhausted, I could have died, I tell you. And I get like that pretty often. And I did not have the strength to do an extensive prayer. And I knew that I needed to just be strong in His grace to where I wasn't required at that moment to do an extensive prayer. I wasn't required at that moment to lift up every name of every person in every situation that I always pray for. But at that moment, I had to be strong in His grace and say, you know what? It's already done in Christ. God knows. God knows every person I pray for. He already knows everything I pray before I ask. And just believe that God is already in charge. It's done. And on this particular night, at this particular time, in my time of need of rest, that I can just collapse and trust God that he already knows everything that I pray for and just do a few seconds prayer. God knows I pray without ceasing anyway all day long, every day. So I had to be strong in his grace. Yes, we should do extensive prayers. We should do prayers. We should do those prayers. But sometimes a five-second prayer is fine. Ten seconds, one minute, two minutes, five minutes. Many times throughout the day. That kind of prayer is completely acceptable to God. But let us not neglect when we have time, when we have the ability, when we have the strength to do the extensive prayers. There is much to be praying about, very much to be praying about. We've got to be strong in the grace of God. And we've got to trust the Lord, have confidence in the Lord, that he knows our needs and will provide. 
that he knows the needs of our family and our friends. That he has already, see, sometimes we pray, God, please save that person. You know what? That's kind of a foolish prayer. I just got to admit to you because don't you think he wants to? Are we telling God or asking God to do something that he don't want to do? Do we have to convince God? Are we asking for something that he already knows, already wants to do, and is already trying to do? Don't you get frustrated if somebody asks you to do something you've already done? Or something you already know you've got to do? Something you've already got on your to-do list? Something you know you're about to do? But they're like, do it. You know what our prayer should be? God, I know you want to save that person. I pray they will accept. We don't have to pray for what God's going to do. He wants to do it. It's on his to-do list, and he's already been trying to save that person. What we need to pray is, I pray that they will accept your salvation and what you're already doing. I pray that they will accept you, God. It's on them. It ain't on God. It's on them to be saved, to get saved, to accept. He's already done it. They need to accept it. Let's pray for them, not pray for God to do his work. God knows his job. God is faithful to do his work. Pray for the people. Pray for the people. Pray for the people. And be strong in the confidence of what God has done already. Already has done, is doing, and will do. And maybe we should be praying, thank you, God. That person is going to be saved. I know, God, that you're going to see that person to salvation. I know, God, that during the great tribulation, you're going to shake that person. I know, God, that person is going to be chastised, chased, dealt with, judged, punished, until they come to you. I know, God, you're going to send your word to them. I know, God, you're going to do all this. Thank you. I know they're going to get saved. How much confidence do we have of a person of what God is going to do in that person? God is not willing for any man to perish or anyone to perish, but for all to have everlasting life. He wants to save that person. He is doing it. He is working. He's sending out the word of God more than what we know. We'd be amazed if we knew everything that God is doing for the people that we pray for. But we still pray for those people. Absolutely, we should continue to pray for those people. But we also need to trust God, not only for them, but for us. For our times of tribulation, because guess what? We still got sin, too, whether we think we do or don't. Any man who says he have not sinned is a liar. I've got sin. I'm not a perfect pastor. There's many, many ways that I fall short of the glory of God. There's many, many, many ways that I'll fall short as a pastor. But I've got confidence in God and what he's doing in me and where he's going to see me. I've got confidence in God that I am saved and that I'm going to be saved. That he's going to see me in through the end that I'm going to enter in the kingdom, 
I'm going to be resurrected in the first resurrection. I believe, I know, I trust, I have confidence in God. I have confidence in his blood. I have confidence that he has changed and transformed me. I have confidence he's going to keep dealing with me and keep dealing with me and keep dealing with me and press all the sin out. I have confidence that when I am miserable and tired and exhausted, I can trust in him that he is already in charge. He is the pilot. He is the pilot of my car, of my airplane. He is the pilot of my life. He is in charge. He's got it. It's under control. Amen. God is in control. How much do we believe God is in control? How much do we believe that? Look at John 14. This is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, one of them. There's so many, though. But John 14, I tell you, if anybody has trouble and distress in their life, let them read John 14 and see the troubles roll away. Watch the troubles roll away when you read John 14. This is such a powerful chapter. If you're dealing with sin, if you're dealing with fear, read John 14. John 14, John 14, John 14. John 14, verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. How much do we believe? How much do we believe? Do not let your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, your heart will not be troubled. If you believe in God, truly believe, deeply believe, 100%, 200% believe, then your heart will not be troubled. Even though we know the great tribulation is coming. Even Even though we know everything written in the book of Revelation. Even though we know that there's a time of judgment. Everything that we know against all odds, against all tribulation, against all distress in this world, against all the wickedness that we know in this world, God is in control. Believe in God, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. 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 How much do we believe? Let not your heart be troubled. Look at Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26. Verse 3. Isaiah 26, verse 3. This is a good read often. If you deal with anxiety, if you deal with fear, if you deal with panic attacks, if you deal with distress of your mind, Isaiah 26. And Isaiah is before Jeremiah. After a uh, song, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes.
people dealing with anxiety, fear, or panic attacks, you ought to write down this verse. Make you a sign, a great little big sign. I got this verse on it and put it on the wall. Put this verse on it. And lay your hands on it every day. And God will help you, bless you. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. I'm going to look at real quick how King James says that. There again. That will keep him in perfect peace. His mind is stayed on me. Okay. Praise God. He'll keep you in perfect peace. His mind is stayed on me. That will keep him in perfect peace. Perfect peace. Perfect peace. His mind has stayed on thee. New American says, steadfast is mine. That is a perfect peace. A perfect peace is steadfast. It doesn't leave. It presses through. Regardless of the situation, regardless of what's going on, it is steadfast. It is a perfect peace of mind. Whose mind is stayed on me? You are keeping in perfect peace because he trusts in you. His mind is on you. His mind is on you. He trusts in you. Now look at verse 1. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. This is a part of a song. We need to see if we can find this song to music, sing it. And in this song, I am reminded that when we sing songs, it encourages us and it builds up our faith, confidence. Praise in the Lord, and there's power in praise. There is power in praise. And if you are distressed, fearful, have anxiety, or have any problem in life, problem in life, or you're being attacked, or you have any situation that's bothering you that day or that moment, sing. Put on a CD. Get out your gift. Sing to the Lord. Take your mind on God in worship and watch your burdens roll away. And watch the, and feel the peace entering into your mind. As you get your mind on the Lord, get your mind off your troubles. Take your mind on the Lord in worship and in praise and watch the peace be established. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up walls and rampants for security. God is our temple. We have a strong city. He sets up walls and rampants for security. We open the gates that the righteous nation may enter in. The one that remains faithful. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. 
trust in the Lord forever. For in God, the Lord, we have an everlasting rock, that it will not be shaken in the hurricane, in the storm, when the rain come and, and flood, but an everlasting rock. For he has brought low those who dwell on high, the unassailable city. He's brought low that unassailable city. He brought down Jericho. He lays it low. He lays it low to the ground. He casts it to the dust. So here there is the city that is against us. Jericho is against us. Babylon is against us. Egypt is against us. Assyria is against us. Russia and China is against us. But he's going to lay all of our enemies to the ground. Verse 6, the foot will trample it. The feet of the afflicted, the steps of the helpless. The way of the righteous is smooth. O upright one, make the path of the righteous level. Even though we may have to go uphill sometimes, that God will make it level if we walk in his strength, walk in his power, walk in his spirit, walk in his peace, and in his power and authority. He can make it seem level. Indeed, while following the ways of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you eagerly. Your name, even your memory, is the desire of our souls. At night, my soul longs for you. Indeed, my spirit within me seeks you diligently. And when the earth experiences your judgment, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. See, we should not pray that judgment won't come to Israel. We should pray that. Because Israel needs judgment. America needs judgment so that they will learn righteousness. We shouldn't pray that tribulation won't come. Tribulation will come. Invasion will come. War will come. Why should we pray against things that we know must happen, that are written in the Bible? We shouldn't pray that people won't be beheaded. It's going to happen. It's written in the Word of God. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. We can't stop it. It's going to happen. What we should pray is that they will be ready when they are faced with beheading, that they will be ready when they're faced with persecution, with tribulation, that they will be ready when it happens. Because it's going to happen. But pray for repentance in the people. Pray for the people for their repentance, that they will be ready. So when the earth experiences your judgment, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. We need to learn, we need to know, we need to remember that as we see judgment in the world, as we see war, as we see invasion, as we see Russia invade Israel, as we see Syria invade Israel, as we see Iran invade Israel, these people are about to learn something. These people are about to be brought down to their knees. These people are about to learn righteousness. They're going to learn righteousness. So when we say when we see this, instead of praying the enemy away, pray for the people, for their repentance. That there would be repentance when we see that tornado hit those states. That there will be repentance when we see the nations invaded. There will be repentance when when we hear earthquakes with thousands dead. We pray for repentance. Pray for repentance. Pray for the people to learn righteousness. Don't tell God what to do. Tell Pray for the people. Verse 10. 
Though the wicked is shown favor, he does not learn righteousness. Meaning that we see many rich people. We see rich people prospering. We see rich people laughing. But you know what? He does not learn righteousness, it says. He deals unjustly in the land of uprightness. You know what? He needs judgment. He needs judgment. Don't pray that judgment won't come to the corporations and to the rich. Let judgment come. Pray for their repentance. He deals unjustly in the land of uprightness and does not perceive the majesty of the Lord. Verse 11, O Lord, your hand is lifted up, yet they do not see it. They see your zeal for the people and are put to shame. Indeed, fire would devour your enemies. Lord, you will establish peace for us. So in the midst of tribulation, we can still have peace. A lot of people think of the tribulation and think, I want to be raptured out. I don't want to see that. I don't want to go through that. They don't have peace. They don't trust God to protect them in the middle of the tribulation. They don't trust God to see them through the wilderness, through the, through the hard time, through the wind, through the storm. We're going through that tribulation, every one of us. We're going to go through it. There's no preacher. Rapture is not in the Bible. Read it for yourself. Stop reading into the Bible what man has taught you. Study the Bible and see there's not no preacher rapture. But even in the tribulation, we can have peace. Even in the midst of all the war we're about to see and everything we're about to see, we're going to see horrendous things. Really horrendous. Lots of bloodshed. Lots of people killed. Earthquakes tidal waves, shaking of the earth, wars and invasion, son of perdition, the one they call the Antichrist. We're going to see all that. The mark of the beast established right here in the United States and across the world and in Israel. But the Lord will establish peace for us. How much do we believe that? How much peace are we going to have? we got to get ready. Maybe we need to be praying for ourselves. we got to get ready. How much peace if it starts today? If we go home and find out on Facebook or on the computer or text message on the world news that there's been a major, major event that is prophetic that's in the Bible, how much peace are we going to have about it, that God can control that situation, that God knows what he's doing, and that he is working through that situation to bring the people to him? Or are we going to freak out? Verse 12, Lord, you will establish peace for us. Since you have also performed for us all our works, our Lord, our God, other masters besides you have ruled us. In other words, we've got earthly kings, presidents, governors, but through you alone we profess your name. The dead will not live, the departed spirits will not rise. Talking about these wicked people, and people that are dead, they're, they're not going to be coming up out of the grave to help us. There's going to be a time of resurrection for every person, and every person, sooner or later, will rise to face the judgment seat of Christ, whether they live righteously or wickedly. But this is talking about these evil rulers and these evil people that we see destroyed. They're not going to 
rise back up the same day or three days later. Only Jesus has done that for us. Therefore, you have punished and destroyed them, and you have wiped out all we members for them. You have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have extended all the borders of the land. O Lord, they sought you in distress. They could only whisper a prayer. Your chastising was upon them. That's talking about sometimes when people are being uh, um, punished by the Lord in the middle of the tribulation, that there's some people that could only whisper a prayer upon their deathbed. Your chastising was upon them. As the pregnant woman approaches the time to give birth, she rings and cries out in her labor pain. Thus, where we before you, O Lord, we were pregnant. We were rough in labor. We gave birth as it seems only to win. We could not establish, uh, accomplish deliverance in the earth, for the earth, nor were inhabitants of the world born. Your dead will live. Your corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. For your dew is as the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirit. Where do these spirits arise in the resurrection? Out of the ground. They're not coming down out of heaven. The saints don't come down out of heaven until after the marriage supper is done. But in the resurrection, when we rise at the last trumpet, at the last trumpet to meet the Lord in the air, we're coming up out of the grave. We're not in heaven when we die. We're with the Lord. And the Lord is in the grave. And the Lord is in China, in Russia, on the moon. He's everywhere at all times. Just because we're with the Lord doesn't mean we're in heaven. If we're in heaven, we're not coming out of the grave. But we're in the grave, as the Bible says. The Bible says over and over and over. The Bible says that we are asleep. It doesn't say that we're in heaven. But we're going to heaven if we rise in the first resurrection for the marriage supper, and then we're going to come right back down and rule on the earth. Revelation 5. Verse 20. Come, my people. As this tribulation hits, as all these troubles are about to hit, come, my people, enter into your rooms and close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while until the emanation runs its course. People think because that we are preparing to enter the wilderness, a place of safety somewhere on earth where God's going to protect his people, they think, oh, you're running and hiding. Well, that's what the Bible tells me to do. Hide for a little while. While until ammunition runs its course. It's not a bad thing. If God wants you to do it, if God tells you to do it, do it. If God tells you to go in the caves, go in the caves. If he tells you to go in the woods, go in the woods. If he tells you to go to China, go to China. If he tells you to stand in the middle of a building, it's about to be about to be knocked down, stand in the building, about to be knocked down. Whatever God tells you to do, do it. And if God tells me to hide, I'm going to hide. It don't mean that I'm fearful. It means I'm doing what God told me to do. And here, he's telling some of his people, go in, close the door when all this starts happening. Go into that place of safety, the wilderness of Revelation 12. Hide for a little while until that tribulation is done and over with, until the ignomination runs its course. For behold, the Lord is about to come out of his place, 
to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will reveal her bloodshed and will no longer cover her slain. Amen. Praise God. Now let's go to Romans chapter 8. This is another one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. Romans 8, verse 5. Romans 8, verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. We set our minds on the Spirit things. So when we see all that trouble happen, even if we're not talking about the tribulation, even if we're talking just about a temporary thing before the tribulation, whatever our trial is, whatever is coming against us that day, if we set our minds on the spirit instead of the flesh, we'll get through it a whole lot faster, a whole lot easier, a whole lot quicker because our mind is upon him and he will keep us in perfect peace. He will see us through if we look to him. He will see us through if we look to the shepherd. He will lead us through it, get us through it, protect us through it, guide us through it. His rod and his staff comforts me. Amen. Look to the shepherd. Look to the spirit. Think about the spirit. Put your mind on the spirit. He will see you through. Verse 6. For the mindset on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Whatever your trial is, whatever your situation, whatever your persecution, whatever the time frame is, put your mind on the Holy Spirit and you'll find peace. I promise you. It is written in the Word of God. 2 Corinthians 13. 2 Corinthians 13. Book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 13, last chapter of Corinthians. Finally, brethren, rejoice. Rejoice. Be made complete. Be made complete. Be comforted. Be like-minded. Live in peace. Don't live in fear. Don't live in anxiety. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. If you live in peace, you're going to feel that spirit in your life. You're going to see that spirit moving moving in a direction in your life. You're going to have peace in your life. And greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. Back in that day and time, and Paul wrote this. People weren't so uptight. Men would kiss men. I'm not talking about homosexuality. I'm talking about brotherly love. Women would kiss women. I'm not talking about lesbianism. Those things were abomination unto the Lord. I'm talking about sisterly love. I think of how the Apostle John laid his head on the chest of Jesus Christ. Brotherly love, good buddies, good friendship. Nothing wrong with those things. But 
the people of the earth have corrupted innocent things. And now people would cast your name out as evil if he saw, if anybody saw uh, this kind of brotherly love and sisterly love. But there's nothing wrong with this kind. We should seek a very deep, close friendship with our brothers and sisters. We should seek holy, clean, decent, deep, intimate friendship with our brothers and sisters. Amen. Now look at Philippians 4. To your right, just a few pages. After Ephesians, Philippians 4. This is a great chapter for anybody that's dealing with their thoughts, dealing with their mind, dealing with a troubled mind, a distressed mind, stress in their life. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. We need to speak the spiritual warfare points I have on the website, isawalightministries.com. Isawalightministries.com. Their spiritual warfare. Look at the article, How to Overcome Anything, and there's a link on that article about the spiritual warfare, how it tells you to speak words over yourself. It's okay to do that, speak words over yourself. We need to speak this. Rejoice. We need to be reminded to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. If you're rejoicing, your mind is on the Lord. Your mind is upon, upon positive things. Verse 5. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. That doesn't mean you shouldn't take thought for things. Yes, you need to plan. You need a to-do list. You need to think about work tomorrow, getting ready. You need to think. You need to plan for rent. You need to plan for your bills. It's not saying don't plan and don't think. That would be irresponsible. But don't be anxious. Don't be burdened about it. Don't be overly anxious. Don't be uh, extremely worried about it for anything. But in everything, by prayer. Pray about it. Let God take care of it. In supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known, made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses, all comprehension. It says in the margin, in mind, that word comprehension is your mind. It'll surpass your mind. It'll blow your mind. The peace of God can blow your mind. I've had that kind of peace where it's like it's so overwhelming just surpasses everything that you can put in words, that kind of peace. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard a fortress, a protection, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Rejoice. Don't be so negative. Don't be negative thinking. Be confident thinking. 
rejoice. Eight, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there be any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Spend time on them. Think about them. Don't let them just be a fleeting thought. But keep your mind on the Lord. Keep your mind on positive things. Keep your mind on these worthy things. In the margin of my Bible, it says, ponder these things. Ponder upon these things. Dwell upon these things. These should not be things that we think about rarely. But very often, we need to spend time, extensive time, thinking upon things that give us peace. It's so easy to be overwhelmed with trouble of life. It's so easy to be overwhelmed with what's going on with Syria, Russia, the Ukraine, Israel, Obama, and the list goes on and on. It's so easy to be overwhelmed by all that. Don't let it overwhelm you. <laughs> Little dog coming to hear the word of God. <laughs> And the peace of God will surpass all comprehension. We guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Have your mind on positive things. Yes, we need to watch the news. We need to stay aware of what's going on in the world. We need to be aware of things. But we need to be careful how much time we think upon it. How much time we spend with it. How much time and how much power we give to those things. Put our mind on God. Preach it, brother. Praise God. Finally, brother, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good with you, if there is any excellency, excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And the things you have learned, verse 9, the things you have learned, and received, and heard, and seen in me. He was a good preacher, dog. And heard and seen in me. Practice these things. Practice these things. Do it over and over until you get it right. Do it over and over until you get it right. Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Praise God. Look at Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're getting a suntan today. We'll be fried here in a few minutes. Matthew 6. <laughs> Matthew six twenty four. Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. A lot of people trying to do that. Joel Olstein's trying to do that. Ben Hinn, Joyce Myers. Hey, the truth is the truth. If it offends you, I'm sorry you're offended by the truth. The truth is the truth. You can't serve God and wealth. And all that money and all your tithes and offerings going to Benny Hinn, Joyce Myers, and Joel Holstein goes 
in their mansions, to their maids, to their butlers, to their massage, to all the luxuries of the wicked who use Jesus' name for profit. You can't serve both. Verse 25, for this reason, I say to you, do do not be worried about your life as to what you're going to eat or drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Does this mean that you should not plan a budget for your clothes and food? No, that's not what it means. Some people think that's what it means. That's why there's so many homeless people. Believe it or not, I actually know a homeless person that said that because of these verses, that he thinks that it's a sin that is wrong if you do anything to plan of what for provision, you know. It don't mean that. What it means is don't be stressed out. Don't be worried. Do what you need to do. Plan, budget. But don't be worried, stressed out, burdened, weighed down. Don't be worried about your life as to what you're going to eat or drink or for your body what you're going to put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap. See, put your mind on these things. Put your mind on these positive things, how the birds are beautiful and taken care of, of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, or what we wear for clothing? Being anxious or overly worried about those things. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows, even before you pray, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Give your tithes to God. It don't have to go to this ministry. It don't have to go to me. But give your tithes to God through food, Bibles, flyers, booklets, gospel tracts, whatever you want to do for the kingdom. But put God first in everything in your life, and you'll have peace, and God will take care of the rest. God will take care of the food, the drink, the clothes, the rent, the electric. If you put God first, he will bless you and provide for you. I've seen that in my life, ain't we, Brittany? Seen that. That if you put God first, he'll bring it back. He'll take care of the situation. And he shouldn't be second or third behind the electric bill. He shouldn't be second or third behind clothes, clothes and food. Put God first and trust 
much do you believe? How much faith and trust do you have? Let God first, his kingdom, his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you, is what the Bible says. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Praise God. Matthew 11, chapter 11. Verse 28. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me. Draw near. Draw near to God. Get close to God. Have that personal relationship with God. Come to me. All don't 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 keep a distance. Draw near. Come to me. Go and praise. Go and worship. Any problem you got that's weighing you down, dragging you down, go to God. Put that CD on. Open the Bible. Pray. Come to God. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He'll give you rest in your mind, peace in your mind, peace in your heart. Let not your hearts be troubled. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest. Solitude. You will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me live in you. Let me give you the peace of mind, peace of Christ. Luke 10. Book of Luke, chapter 10. Verse 38. Luke 10, 38. Mary and Martha. And I've known quite a few Marthas in my life. And not too many Marys. Luke ten thirty eight. Now as they were traveling along, they entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations, and she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. Trying to tell God what to do. That's what we do so many times then. Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worse. You are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. Only one thing is necessary. He'll take care of the rest. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. The grass is going to be cast into the fire to send away the trees and the flowers and the lilies. God is eternal. Put our mind on the eternal things. Don't be consumed of all the burdens of life. Now, we've got to fix up. We've got to prepare supper, but don't let it be anxious. 
Don't let it be anxious. Do it to the Lord, everything that we do. Do it as unto God. Martha could have been in the kitchen all by herself and been just as close to Jesus as Mary was if she had chosen to, if she had not let the physical, the flesh getting in the way, she could have been in there and just preparing that food up a storm and been so filled with joy and happy and singing in the kitchen and then served that to her Lord and Master. And it would have been just as good of a service as washing his feet. It's in your mind. It's in your heart. Don't be burdened by these things. Isaiah 9. Look at Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah is before, before Jeremiah. Chapter 9. Verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. Does that stress him out, that the whole government, the whole world is on his shoulders? No, it don't stress him. For his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor. That word counselor is more than just a, a psychiatrist. It's a legal counselor, a lawyer. Wonderful, lawyer, mighty God. He's God. Jesus is God. Eternal. Father. Jesus is Father. Prince of peace. Prince of peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. Eternal peace. Eternal peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it, establish it, well planted, and to uphold it with justice and righteousness, and then on, from then on, and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The zeal, God has zeal. We need to have zeal, passion for God, and we'll have peace. Look at the book of Micah, chapter 5. Michael, chapter 5. That's one of the ones that's hard to find. Verse 1, finance. Tell me the book before or after. Right after Jonah. Right there near the very end of the Old Testament. Close to it. Before Nathan, before Hibaka, Hibaka, Zephariah, Haggai, Micah, chapter 5. <laughs> verse 5. Chapter 5, verse 5. This one will be our peace. Talking about Jesus Christ when he comes back. As King of Kings, Lord of Lords, upon the earth, on the battle of Armageddon. This one, not three, this one will be our peace. When the Assyrian 
talking about Assad, the president of Syria, invades our land. The president of Syria is going to invade Israel. It's written in the word of God. We can't pray away. It don't matter whether you believe what I say or don't believe what I say. You're going to see it in the news. The president of Syria will invade Israel. Israel will never be destroyed. But Israel will be invaded and occupied by the Assyrian, the president of Syria. And when the Assyrian invades our land, guess what? Jesus is our peace. We don't have to be disturbed. We saw this coming. It's written in the word of God. Jesus knew it from the beginning. And when he tramples on our citadels, then we we will raise up against them, so forth. Then we will raise against them seven shepherds and eight leaders of men, and they will shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword, the land of Nimrod at his entrances. And he will deliver us from the Assyrian when he attacks our land, when he tramples our territory. See, the land of Assyria is the land of Nimrod. We read about how Nimrod was involved in Christmas and Easter. Well, you can look up and see how Christmas and Easter started in Assyria. It's synonymous with Nimrod. It was Nimrod's family and himself and his sons that started Christmas and Easter. It wasn't Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't start Christmas and Easter. If you look it up, you don't have to believe me. I don't want you to believe me. Look in the scriptures, look in prayer, look in fasting, look in the encyclopedia, look in history, look at what history tells us. Christmas and Easter existed before Jesus' birth. There was agent, Assyrian, Babylonian, Nimrod family holidays that were pagan holidays where they were worshiping the sun, the moon, the stars, the rabbits, and eggs and fertility. Your Easter, Easter symbols. But God is going to deliver us. He is our peace. Jesus is our peace. He is our legal counselor. We're going to be okay. And look at Isaiah 8. There's over there. Well, go to Isaiah 8 before Jeremiah. Isaiah 8. Verse 1. book of Isaiah, chapter 8, verse 1. <coughs> such a beautiful day, such a beautiful day in the Lord, that beautiful Sabbath, with children and puppies, brothers and sisters, what a wonderful day in the Lord. Chapter 8, verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, Take for yourself a large tablet. Write on it in ordinary letters. Swift is the booty, speedy is the prey. Oh, God is so cool. Swift is the booty, speedy is the prey. And I will take to myself faithful witnesses for testimony. Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Job so I approached the prophetess, his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. Isaiah had a son. Then the Lord said to me, Name him Maha Shalah Hashbaz, 
for the whole, for before, for before the boy knows how to cry out, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. Because the king of Assyria invaded the city of Damascus and became its capital later. Again, the Lord spoke to me, Father, saying, Inasmuch as these people have rejected peace, they have rejected that gently flowing waters of Shalom. Shalom. They rejected the peaceful stream. They rejected the Messiah. They rejected the peace of Christ through unbelief and disobedience. They refused to enter into his rest, refused the shepherd that makes us lie down in, in green pastures. Inasmuch as these people have rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh, that's talking about Jesus. They rejected Jesus and rejoiced in Rinza and the son of Remelon. They, they rejoiced in these humans, in their fleshly king. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord is about to bring on them the strong and abundant waters of the Aprites, even the king of Assyria, and all his glory. And it will rise up over all its channels and go over its banks. Then it will sweep on into Judah, into Israel. It will overflow and pass through. This is foreshadowing of the end time president of Syria invading Israel. And it will reach even to the neck and the spread of its wings. Daniel 9 talks about the overspreading of abominations. And the spread of its wings, which is the symbol of Syria, the symbol of son of perdition, will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. Israel hasn't been, Israel has been invaded many times. History repeats itself. And any nation that comes against God and rejects Jesus like Israel have, they will be judged and they will be punished. They will be chastised until they return unto the Lord. Same is true with the United States. God will not bless America until we repent. God will not bless Israel. There's no difference between Israel and the United States. We are God's chosen people. I am God's chosen people. Every English-speaking person is God's chosen people. We are the tribes of Israel. The Judas is only Jew, is only one tribe of Israel, not 12. There's 12 tribes of Israel, including the United States, South Africa, Australia. I love my brothers in Australia and South Africa. I hear more from people, brothers and sisters in the Lord in South Africa and Australia than anywhere other than America. Maybe more. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters in South Africa and Australia. Remember them in your prayers. There's a lot of them. And let's look at Mark 4. This be the final verse here. Mark 4. Verse 35. Mark 4, 35. This is Jesus speaking to the storm, speaking to the waters, saying, Peace, be still. Mark 4, 35. On that day, when evening came, it wasn't a new day when evening came. The Jews would say it's a new day when evening comes, but it's not. It's on that day when evening came. 
he said to them, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce yell of wind. And the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. It was already filling up. Water was already in the boat. And Jesus himself was in the stern asleep. Ha-ha. Asleep. He, he was so, oh, he, oh, he wasn't worried about the wind. He wasn't worried about the storm. Asleep on the cushion. And they woke him. They woke him up. How dare they? They woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care? Don't you care? Remember that Jesus, our high priest, uh, knows all of our infirmities and that we can draw near to him. Well, we can draw near, but this is kind of a wrong kind of drawing near. Teacher, do you not care? that we were perishing. They didn't trust. They didn't believe. And he got up and rebuked the wind. He rebuked the tribulation. He rebuked what was causing the problem. He took control. He took authority and said to the wind, hush, peace, be still. I like that even better than King James. Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. It became peaceful. He can calm the raging waters, and he can give us peace in the middle of the storm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? How much do we trust the Father that he sees the storm at all times, knows the storm at all times, knows, knows the cause and comment will take care of us no matter how bad it gets through the tribulation. He can take care of us. And if we die, oh well, God is in control. Fear him only. Don't fear man who's not able to destroy both soul and body, you know, but fear only him who is able to destroy both soul and body in the lake of fire in Jehenna. Well, that's what God gave me as I laid down last night and as I had to trust in him and not upon my works not upon my words, not upon how much I could speak. But I just had to trust in him, rest. And he gave me that for today. Thank God for it. I'd like for you all to pray for all the Sabbath keepers that are in prison across the world. It's hard to keep the Sabbath when you're in prison. God understands the circumstance and situation, but we need to keep our brothers and sisters across the world in prison and out of prison, out of prison. Keep them in prayer. God knows them. God knows the situation. God takes care of it. God already knows all this. Let's pray for the people who are in prison. 
Let's pray for the people who are in Syria, Iran, Iraq, who are our brothers and our sisters, those that are true Christians, those that are the Sabbath keepers, those that keep the Ten Commandments. And let's pray for those that don't know the Sabbath, for them to learn the Sabbath, for them to learn the Ten Commandments, for them to learn obedience to Jesus Christ, for the people to repent, become obedient. Let's pray for Pentecost. It's six weeks to Pentecost. Let's start counting the days, as the Bible tells us to. May 24th, Sunday, we'll have services both days that weekend. Uh, talk about that more later. But listen, right, faithful? Um, and let's be praying for that service for Pentecost, May 24th. And uh, we're going to have some cards to, uh, after services here, to sign, to like send to different people, uh, continue in fellowship after services. And uh, I encourage everyone that's listening on the Internet to please check out the website of this ministry, which is I Saw the Light Ministries. Dot com. I saw the light ministries.com. And of course, there's going to be some things on that website that you're not going to immediately agree with some of it. But I simply ask that you examine the evidence and the scriptures that have been laid out there for you. Read the scriptures for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Don't believe me, but believe the Bible. Look at those scriptures I've laid out. Look at them. Read them. Take them in prayer. Ponder upon those things. Ponder upon the Word of God and see where the Holy Spirit leads. That's what I'm asking for you to do at isawthelightministries.com. And if you are interested in attending in person in East Tennessee, you can contact me through the website. And we are live every Saturday at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. And if you can't listen at 2 o'clock live, then you can um, listen later in the archives. Every broadcast, every service is saved in the archives where you can listen your convenience 24-7. You can also listen over the telephone live. And the phone number is on the website. Just look for the services. And on that page, it will tell you the phone number in different ways. There's several different ways you can listen. It will give you the schedule and everything else you need to know. Thanks for listening today to the broadcast of This Gospel of the Kingdom over on TalkShoe.com and live on the, web, on the ministry website as well and over the phone. However you're listening, thank you for listening. We conclude this broadcast in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.